evening. Good Chodesh. So tonight we are beginning Perry Base. Second uh, second chapter. Perry Base begins with Venefesh Hashenis Bi Yisrael Yichilak Alikam Yimal Mamash. And the Perikalaf we spoke about the first soul that every yid has that which we call the Nefesh Abahamas. But then there's Nefesh Hashenis Bi Yisrael. Every Yid has a second Nefesh. Every Yid has a second soul. Every Jew has a second soul. And this second soul which a Yid has, Chilik Alikam Imal Mamish, is a piece of God, literally. As we continue today, we'll have more clarity on what that means. So we have two souls. Every yid has two souls. Soul number one is the nefesh abahamis, the animal soul. Soul number two, nefesh alikis, the godly soul. Why is the godly soul called the second soul? Why isn't it the first soul? After all, it's definitely the most important one, the more important one. So why is it referred to as the nefesh hashenis, the second soul? The reason is because very practical sense. The Nefesh Abahamas, the animal soul, enters a child when the child is born. The moment the child is born, the child already has the animal soul. What is the animal soul? Self-centeredness. Um, desire for pleasure. And that's something which a child has from day one. Not only, it's not that children also have it. You'd say that children... Uh, have it more than anyone else. Children are very, 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 very self-centered. All they're looking for is uh, their own, uh, their own pleasure, the idea of selflessness or altruism. But doing something truly for someone else is really uh, beyond the ability of a child, because a child in the beginning has nefesh abahamas. The nefesh alikis is there. A child who's one day old is 100% Jewish. However, even though that it's there, but it's not fully expressed. The nefesh alikis takes time to fully express. The nefesh alikis only becomes fully, fully integrated in the body and functional by the bar mitzvah. And that's why by bar mitzvah a person becomes responsible in all mitzvahs, because it's at that point when the battle is, so to say, on even, uh, on even footing. The nefesh alikis, the nefesh Bahamas are both at full force, at full power at that time. That's number one. But also practically speaking, what is our default status and what is our override status? The Nefesh of Bahamas always remains our default status. When we wake up in the morning and we eat breakfast, if we don't put any thought into it, we don't work, put any work into it, we're just waking up and I'm hungry and I'm eating breakfast. Is that an expression of the Nefesh of Bahamas or the Nefesh of Lakis? the Nefesh Bahamas. There's nothing wrong with eating breakfast. It's perfectly kosher. You made a bracha on it. But why are you eating? You're eating it because of your own your own desire, your own need, your own pleasure, your own selfish reasons. It's not evil, but it's selfish, self-centered. How do we make that that same eating should be an act of the Nefesh Olegis? What would that require? Anyone? say a bracha, but more than saying a bracha, you're saying what the result of the food is. Before even you get to the result of the food, yeah? Pushing it off a bit. Pushing it off a bit is a, is, is, is a, these are all good things. Bracha, pushing off to eat, using it afterwards. The intention, that when you eat, what is your intention? To serve Hashem, to be healthy and strong and be able to serve Hashem. That's not a self-centered thought, that's an official kiss type behavior. This is, expresses what's called bitl. Bitl means nullification to Hashem. And that's purely within the domain of the nefesh alikis. So which is the natural act and which requires the override? It's not as if we wake up in the morning and natural is I'm going to eat it to serve Hashem. But if I override my natural, I can also eat it for self-centered purposes. It's the opposite, right? The natural is self-centered. And the override is the godly purposes. So therefore, the first nefesh we have, not because it's more important, to the contrary, 
it's much less important. But the first in terms of this is what our default state is, our most natural state of being, is the Nefshah Bahamas, the animal soul. But there's a second soul which we all which we all have, and we can all utilize, and we can all actualize and call upon, and that is the Nefesh Elokis. It is our second soul. And this second soul that we have, as the Alter Rebbe says, he makes this assertion, which is uh, not the Alter Rebbe's, uh, you know, it's not his idea. This is something which is brought down by the Mekubalim beforehand. That is, that the Neshama that we have, the Nefesh Elokis, synonymous with the Neshama, the Neshama that we have is a Chelek Elikam Imal Mamish, it is a part of God. Literally. Mamish means literally. As we continue in this class more, we'll explain more what that means, part of God. This book is called Likuti Amarim, which means that much of what he's saying is gathered from other sources, whether it's the Maral, whether it's the Shalom, right? But this idea that the Neshama is a Chilakalika is said very clearly in the writings of the Arizal. However, the Alter does add the word mamash, which means literally. You can say that sometimes we can say something, but it's not literal. Sometimes we're saying something and we're, uh, how do you say it? Allegorical, figuratively. So it's a piece of God. It's like God. It's beautiful. It's holy. No, no. The Neshama is a part of Hashem. Mamash, literally. We don't mean that figuratively, but we mean that and again, as we continue, we'll explain more what that means. In my Shekasov, as it says in the Pasuk, the Pasuk in Berishas, when Adam HaRishon was created, so the Pasuk says, Vayipach bi'apav nishmas chayim, that Hashem blew into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, the neshama of life. And also every morning we say, and the brachas in the morning, we say that you we turn to the Abishter and say you blew your neshama into me you blew my neshama into me so the first the first one proves that that's the way it was by Adam means it's not only not only by Adam did Hashem blow the neshama into his into his nostrils but that is also the personal experience every single person says that Hashem blew the neshama into me what is the significance of that? What is the significance of the fact that the neshama was blown into Adam Rish's nostril? Alter Rebbe says, "Bizayar, tells us that man de nafach, nafach. That when a person blows, you're expelling air from an area which is very deep inside you. Pirush meaning, from inside of you, from the most internal part of you." When a person forcefully ex exhales, so you are drawing upon the most internal highest that you have, the internal life force that you have. What we're doing over here is we're contrasting. Although Alter Rebbe doesn't say so explicitly, but this is what Alter Rebbe is doing over here. How was the entire world created? How did Hashem create the entire world? hammer and a screwdriver with ten utterances. Hashem spoke the world into existence. Now we all, we all know that when we speak as we're, speak, as we, as we're speaking we're constantly exhaling constantly exhaling breath. But there's a difference between the breath that we exhale in the course of conversation, in the course of speaking, and when we're blowing. That when we're blowing it comes from a deeper place and it requires much more effort. And that's why I can sit over here and speak for an hour, as I'm really doing now, and uh, I won't, it, won't, it won't tire me. But imagine if I was sitting over here and I was uh, blowing after two minutes, I would be exhausted. Because it, it requires much more. You're taking it from a much deeper place. So the entire world was created from Hashem's speech, which means that the highest that comes out, the exhalation, the exhaling which Hashem did at that point, was from a more external place within Hashem, as opposed to the neshama of Adam Rishon comes from a very, very deep place, which goes to support that we're saying earlier that the neshama which Adid has is a chelak alakam imal is comes from someplace very, very deep within Hashem. Yes. Um, 
right, it's not clear in the Torah. That's something which we have um, from the Darizal says this, this. If it was something which was so clear, it wouldn't be a chidash of Darizal. This is something which Darizal revealed. He bases it on the possible of when the Shomai Sani Asisi Hashem said, I created souls. There's no question that this is something which Darizal revealed in Kabbalah. But if I, 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 I want to address one second, if you're staying with me. Adam Harishim had a Jewish neshama. This is, uh, this is what it says in Kabbalah. Adam Harishim's soul contained within it the neshamas of all Eden, of all generations. It was what's called a master soul, a root soul, a neshama klalis, general soul. This neshama, which was breathed into Adam Rishain, is that neshama. The neshama afterwards, this neshama divided up into 600,000 branches. Those are the 600,000 yidin for Bihar Sinai. And those 600,000 branches then subdivided amongst the, the many, many, many millions of yidin throughout the generations. But every single one of our neshamas were in Adam Rishain. In fact, when we say that the Jewish people are that we're one big body, which body are we talking about? We're talking about the body of Adam Rishon. Some of us were in his fingers. We're talking about the, the soul. The soul also has all the limbs. The soul corresponds to the body. Some of us were Adam Rishon's fingers, some his nose, some his toes. Very good question. So let's explain in Kabbalah that this was before Chatei Tzadas. In other words, what's with all the non-Jewish people? Where did they get their neshamas from? The answer is, that's explained in Kabbalah, that after the Chet Yitzadas, so then, Klippa, then, what it took, then, other Marisha was completely good, completely godly. But Yitzadas was Tevera, so suddenly they became also Parmished, became also mixed into their uh, evil, um, Klippa. And that's where the non Jews come from. But before Chet Yitzadas, the non Jewish souls did not even exist in other Marisha. But this pristine soul which other Marisha had before the Chet, before the sin, that was then transferred down to the generations. Abram, Abram got that neshama, Yitzchak and Yaakov, then that neshama divided into 12, Moshvatim, divided into 70, the 70 um, who went into uh, Mitzrayim, and then 600,000. And that's where we all come from. So this neshama, which you were asking about, Vayipach Ba'apav Nishmas Chaim, this neshama is the, is the general Jewish soul which was blown into Adam Arishin, and which will later, again, pass on to Abram, Yitzchak, and Did Shem and Abraham have that neshama? I don't know. In other words, did it did it get transferred down all from from Adam to ch child father to son, father to son to Avram, or did it somehow just transfer state to Avram? I'm not sure about that. Yes. <coughs> You're saying that how do we say Hashem has no parts? Very good question. We're going to address that later on. Yes, you had another question? I stopped. sound that emanates from the shofar. The mitzvah is not to blow into it, but to hear the sound that comes from it. Okay? So, until now, what we've done over here is we've um, explored the difference between speaking and blowing. And we've demonstrated that whereas all of creation was created by Hashem speaking, the Dvar Hashem Shmayim Nasu, the heavens were created by through Hashem's uh, words, and also the world was created with ten utterances.
do Torah mitzvahs. But the words also can mean that the Yidin come, the Yidin are higher up than the rest of creation because the Yidin come from Machshava, from Hashem's thought. So before we were contrasting speech to blowing, and there we were talking something more physical, in other words, the ear that's, that's expelled by speaking versus the ear that's expelled when a person blows. And now we are comparing and contrasting something more spiritual. We're not talking anymore about the ear that comes out, but now we're talking about the faculty of speech versus the faculty of thought. The entire world, everything that's created, comes from Hashem's speech. And Yisrael, all of the the Yidin, come from Hashem's thought. Yes. So the connection is that on a very simple level, before we were contrasting speaking and blowing, and we demonstrated, or we showed, we asserted, that speaking, that blowing comes from a deeper place than thinking, than speaking. Similarly, in a spiritual sense, thought is a deeper and higher place than speech. Okay. Hence the analogy. So the machshava is compared to the to the blowing. Thought they're both they're both they're both internal, more internal than speaking. But now let's take a moment now to talk about speaking versus thought, speech versus thought. Now we know that whenever we talk about Hashem, when we're talking about Hashem breathing a soul into someone, or when we're talking about um, Hashem speaking versus Hashem thinking. This is all, what's called in English, these are all anthropomorphisms. Hashem obviously, Hashem obviously doesn't breathe, and Hashem doesn't speak as we speak. And the neshama which we have, the neshama that we have isn't, uh, you know, isn't comprised of physical ear, of, of breath, of oxygen. These are all analogies to allow us to understand a little of what's going on. So let's, what's the difference between a person's speech and a person's thoughts? My thoughts are something which are internal to me. My thoughts can never be revealed to someone else in their full intensity. I can try, I can use my words you'll never be able to really, really convey the depth of your thoughts to someone else. And most importantly, when I'm thinking, it's a very personal experience. It's me and me alone. When I'm speaking, I'm speaking to someone else. That's me relating already to someone else. And we can all understand that in terms of Hashem, when Hashem is thinking, so what that symbolizes, Hashem as He is for Himself, as He is within Himself, as He is as it were, interacting with himself. Whereas speech is where Hashem is already relating to another. The problem with speech is, when we're talking about Hashem, is that we're saying that Hashem is relating to another. Is there another? There's Hashem alone. What does it mean Hashem is speaking? Who's he speaking to? Again, we have to remove 
all physical references. Speaking to, we have, we have to get to the spiritual core of the matter. The spiritual core of speech is revealing myself to another. The problem is there is no other. And that's why in Kabbalah and Hasidus is explained, but what does it mean that Hashem speaks? Precisely that. That means before Hashem speaks, there isn't anything else. Hashem speaks and suddenly a world comes into existence. That's the deeper meaning of Basara Mamaris Nivra'il, the world was created with Hashem's speech, because the notion of speech is me relating to another. So in human terms, there's me and there's someone else, and I'm, I speak to relate to that person. In divine terms, by Hashem, He speaks and another comes into existence. The world comes into existence. Is the world really other from Hashem? No, really really everything is Hashem. But in the world's own consciousness, it's another. The world feels itself as an entity distinct from Hashem. Hashem's speech creates an entity which feels itself as independent, which feels itself as something distinct and apart from Hashem. What then are the implications of saying that the neshama of a yid doesn't come from Hashem's speech, but comes from Hashem's machshava, from Hashem's thoughts? If the entire world was created from Hashem's speech, and by now we explained a little what that means, and now we're saying that the neshama of a yid comes from Hashem's thought, what does that tell us about the neshama of a yid? That it doesn't feel itself as another. It's united with Hashem. The truth is, everything is united with Hashem. But everything doesn't feel it, and everything doesn't realize it. The neshama of a yid realizes. And this takes us to, you might want to say, is the biggest chidush of Kabbalah, period. What is the biggest chidush of the Arizal? Kabbalah. You know, before before the Arizal, so most of the Chachme Yisrael, most of the sages, they were known, those who, you know, there were those who were the Talmudists and Halachists. They wrote the Arizal. They wrote their, their works on the Gemara, and they wrote, wrote their works on the Shulchan Aruch, or even before them, talking about before the Shulchan Aruch. And then there were those who dabbled in philosophy. Now, most of them didn't know Kabbalah. They were called the Chayikrim. They were called the philosophers. It's a whole, uh, the Rambam, the Rabag, and many others, the Rashba to a certain extent, they're called Chayikrim. They, the Rasag, and many others, they wrote Sfarim. We're in, they wrote their philosophies about uh, Hashem, the, the soul, the nature of Torah, the world, etc. But it wasn't based on Kabbalah. It was based on their understanding. And one premise that all of these Svarim have, that all the Chayikram had, is that in general, everything can be divided into two. There's God and there's creation. There's Hashem. And there's everything that Hashem created. Now, what, what is the Neshama? Is it, well, it can't be Hashem. There's only one Hashem. So that must mean that what is the Neshama? The Neshama is a creation. So what sort of creation is it? It's all the Chayikrim. The philosophers have different opinions, and the Rambam says that it's uh, the Neshama, its essence is Seichel, is, uh, is intellect. Because they're all struggling with this. What is this Neshama? It's obviously something that's created. So what is its, what is its substance, and what is its essence? It's not God. The Arizal came along, and the Arizal says... There's a third category. There's God. There's creation. And then there's godliness. God with the last name. What is godliness? Is it God or is it not God? No, it's godly. What is godliness? In Hebrew, this is called elikus. There's elika, which is Hashem. There's elikus. I'm sure all of you have heard the word elikus, right? Which means godliness. What is godliness? Is it God or isn't it God? And the best analogy, which is used in Hasidus many times, anyone who has learned Hasidus a little has encountered this analogy, is the analogy of oir, light, which is why elikus 
is called Oyer Ein Sof, the infinite light. The, the infinite light is not God. Infinite light is not Hashem. Because Hashem isn't Ein Sof. Hashem isn't without end. Hashem is Ein Leitchil. Hashem has no beginning. That's a different category. Ein Sof means it has a beginning. There was a time when it wasn't, but it doesn't have an end. At this moment, now it is infinite. Why is it called a lawyer? Why is it called light? Because godliness, the best way to understand godliness is through the metaphor of light. What is light? So you have the sun, and you have sunlight. There are two very, very two important features over here. Number one, it's always connected. You can never, the sunlight can never be disconnected from its source. It's always connected to its source. And number two, light is nothing of its own. It has no identity. What is, what does sunlight tell you? I'm expressing the sun. I'm revealing the sun. It has no ego. It has no distinct and unique identity. It always remains connected to its source, and its entire identity is the identity of its source. It's only there to express and to reveal its source. That's godliness. Godliness means that certain things, that certain emanations from Hashem, certain energies that come from Hashem, and they're not Hashem, they're not God. And before the world was created, there was only God himself. There was no godliness. But godliness is any entity which doesn't have any identity. And its whole, its whole identity is its creator, and it's expressing its creator fully. That is godliness. And this is the huge chidush of Kabbalah, this hybrid. So now we have three things. There's God. There is that. There are those things are nothing but expressions of and extensions of Hashem, godliness. And the third category is creations. And what is a creation? A creation is also God, but it doesn't feel it in and of itself. Because everything is ultimately Hashem Echad means that really everything is Hashem. However, when we look around, most entities in this world, everything in this world, everything that's created doesn't feel itself as part of Hashem. It feels itself as something different. And that's not only in this world. Even in the higher worlds, the malachim, the angels, they're as holy as they can be. But they're creations. They're not godliness. They have an identity. A holy identity. A holy ego. They love Hashem. And they fear Hashem. But there's the eye that loves Hashem. There's the eye that fears Hashem. They have their own identity. That's not godliness. So when we're saying over here, Nefesh Hashenis from Yisrael, Echilek Alikam Imal Mamesh, the second the second Nesham of Ayid is godly. That answers your question on the back before I went to head. Right? It's not God. What does it mean God? There's, a God? there's God within every single one of us. It's godly. Which means that the second Nesham, the second animating force that is, that is within every single Yid, has no identity. Its identity is that it expresses Hashem. Yeah. What's all that that is? I'm not sure how that's relevant there. Right. What's all that that is? It's meaning all. I don't know. I, could, I don't know. It's not the air and stuff. It's something else entirely. It's a topic I've never researched. Look into it for you, but it's not relevant to what we're talking about. Apparently, yeah. Talking about the soul, so the soul, of course, we hear that Hashem is actually Elokah, Elokah, right? So that that's a pasuk. The words Chelak Elokah Mimal is a pasuk from Eiv. So we're borrowing those words. And by the way, if you look in the in Eiv, the words mean nothing of that sort. Just uh, in case you decide to check it up. The word chelak alekam imal means the portion that God gave me, and he's talking about the bad portion that God gave him. But the mukabalim, this not the Alter Rebbe, the mukabalim as the shalah, and even the maharsha brings this down. 
they applied the words chilek alakami mal to the neshama. The Alter Rebbe is saying that it says the word alakab, but what does it mean in the context of the neshama? Again, the pasuk doesn't even mean that. But when the Mukabalam used the word chilek alakami mal in the context of the neshama, they're talking about alakos, they're talking about godliness. Right. But, but, as, but as we go on to the period, the context will become very clear. Again, he's quoting it because that's the Pasuk as cited by the Mukobal. So now we can go back to our analogy about Dibur versus Machshava, speech versus thought. And now it makes a lot of sense. The entire world was created, all of creation was created with Hashem's Dibur, with Hashem's speech. Why? Because the function, the purpose of all of creation was to create something that's other than Hashem. Again, in its own consciousness, in its own awareness. And for that purpose, Hashem employed Dibur. Because that is what Dibur is. Speech is me speaking to another, me relating to another. Hashem's speech creates an entity that feels itself to be other from Hashem. And that's everything in this world. But in this world, there's one exception. There's one thing in this world which is not made from Dibur because it's not other from Hashem. And that is the Neshama. And that's why the Neshama is all of the Machshava. The Neshama comes from Hashem's Machshava. And with this we'll understand this is, this is so powerful. That means that the Neshama that we have within us is literally is godliness, is alakus. It has no identity, it has no desires, it has no aspirations, it has no wishes. It merely wants to express Hashem. And we have that within every single one of us. Then again, as the premise of Tanya is going to be, that nefesh, that neshama that we have is constantly battling. The first neshama, which we described in last, in last week, in last paragraph, the self-centered neshama, which is very other from Hashem. And that's really the battle within us. Are we going to, you know, allow my nefesh, the nefesh Bahamas, the self-centered soul to dominate? Or are we going to allow the godly soul to dominate? That's really uh, puts a stark contrast. Our choice that we make on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, almost every minute. Which part of me am I going to, am I going to express? Yes. <clears throat> Does the Chiddush of the Arizal make all the works of the Cholkrim irrelevant? It's a good question, and beyond the parameters of the discussion today. It's a, it's a good question. What happens with, uh, you know, what do we do with the Marina Vuchim and the Amunis Videus after the Arizal came along? They're obviously, they're part of Torah, the Chikrim, and there's truth to them, but there are many, many layers of truth. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. And actually, We'll, um, in this period, we're going to get more into that also, because we'll see there's a big machlekes between the Maharal and the Rambam. We're going to get into that a little later. But the, Mar- the Maharal was the, you know, a Kabbalist, and the Rambam was a, was a philosopher. And we'll see how there's taka truth on both sides. And now we'll understand something else. There's a Pasuk, we know the Yidin are referred to as Hashem's child. Bonim atem l'ashem alakechem, we're Hashem's children. B'ni b'chayri Yisrael. The Yidin are Hashem's firstborn. What does that mean? So there's always the easy way out, and we can say that, what does it mean? It means uh, Hashem loves us like a parent loves his child. Is that all? Is that all there's to it? Is it just simply a, you know, a metaphor for love? Well, the Rebbe is going to say no. Bani Matam Hashem means that if we actually, if we follow the process of child to father, we'll see that that same process is followed in Hashem to the Neshama. We're children to Hashem due to the fact that we have a Neshama. And very short, in a nutshell, the point is going to be that just like a child is an extension of the father and carries the same DNA as the father, the Neshama is an extension of Hashem. And that's why Dafke Yidin are considered Bonim, children of the Ebeshter. I think we mentioned this last week. It says in Pirkei Yavis, we say, Chaviv Adam Shenivra B'Tzalem, that precious is man, for he's created in Hashem's image. And then the next stanza in the Mishnah is, Chaviv Yisrael 
Shenikru Bonim Lamoke. Precious are the Yidin, for they are called children of Hashem. First thing, Chavivadam Shnivrabit Salam, precious is man who is created in Hashem's image. That applies to all human beings. Yidin and Lahavdil Goyim. But Chaviv Yisrael, the Yidin are precious, Shenikru Bonim Lamochim, because they are called children. Why? Because they have an Hashem. Goyim are created in Hashem's image. But can we say that Goyim carry Hashem's DNA? That Goyim are godly in any way? Well, they're not. And if they're not, then how can we call them a child? A child means it's an extension of the parents, an extension of the father. Yidin, because of our neshama, which is godly, we're take banim lamakim. And that's what the Rebbe is going to talk about as we continue. As it says in the Apostle, as the Apostle says, the Yidna referred to as Hashem as firstborn and the children to Hashem. Pirush. I forgot to mention earlier, when we're talking about um, the Neshama of Adam Rishon being the Neshama of all Yidin. Right? Remember, we spoke about that. In fact, we know that only Eden are called Adam. Atem Kriyim Adam. Goyim aren't called Adam. The term Adam refers only to Eden, and that's for that reason, because Adam in its pure state had only the, the, the Yiddish Neshamas in him, not the other Neshamas of all other nations. The Neshama of every Yid in Yimshech comes from the Abish there is Sorry, skip the line. Pirush, this means just like the son, the child, comes from the moyach, the brain of the father. The brain is the seat of the soul. It's the the hub, the center of the person's life force. And that's where a child comes from. In other words, the fact that the child has the seichel, the intellect, and the emotions, and all of those are similar to and come from the father's shows that that's where the, that's where the child comes from. The child comes from the essence of the father, which the essence exists within the brain. So the child comes from the father's brain, the essence. Kaf, the same thing, the soul of every yid, comes from Hashem's thoughts and Hashem's wisdom. The Iyu Chakim Vulei Bechachma Yudia, as we say in Pasach Eliyahu. No, we're saying Hashem's wisdom. Hashem has wisdom? Yes. As we say in Pasach Eliyahu, Hashem is wise. But Vulei Bechachma Yudia, Hashem's wisdom is not of the sort that we know of. It's a totally different type. In which way does Hashem's wisdom differ from ours completely? Hashem and His wisdom are one. As the Rambam writes, This is, uh, again, the Rambam writes this, the Rambam as a philosopher writes it, but this he actually writes this in, in Mishnah Torah, in the Yad HaChazaka. The Rambam says like this, We know that the Eberster is Hashem Echad. Hashem is one. What does it mean that Hashem is one? So there's the very, very simplistic understanding of that, which is that there's only one Hashem and not other. That's true, but that only touches the very surface of what it means. When we say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkeinu Hashem Echad, which is a mitzvah saseh, to believe in Hashem's unity, the Ramam explains what that means. That means that sometimes there's something which is one, but it is a combination. So, for example, a human being, one human being, is that human being one? Yeah. But is he truly one? How many components is a human being comprised of? Physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, 248 limbs, 365 gidim, 7 billion molecules, and then a person is made up of emotions and, and, and desire, and pleasure, and, uh, 
and intellect and uh, all different sorts of capacities. So a human being, you have one human being, but that one human being isn't one. When we say Hashem Echad, we're saying that Hashem is absolute unity. Not only that there's one Hashem, but Hashem is absolute unity. So that makes us problems. Because the reason why we work the way we work, so for example, I have my seichel. There's me and there's my seichel. Me and my intellect. That's two distinct things. There's me, and then there's my intellect, and then that's only one of many, many different components of mine. How about Hashem? If we're going to say that there's Hashem, and then there's the intellect, then Hashem is an absolute unity. So there... Okay. But it all comes in... Hold it. Sorry. Hold it till the end of next week. Because by the, you're not going to have an answer to your question this week, but by the time after next year, you'll have your answer to this question. Okay? You, you ha- yeah, if, if you want to answer this question, because this is a conversation we're beginning now, and we're continuing next week. And by the time we finish, you'll have the answer to your question. So the Ramam says like this. Ramam says that Hashem is different than us. And Hashem's wisdom is different than ours. And the Ramam says that Hashem is different. Why? In general, when I, when I understand something, there are three things. There's me. There's my intellect. And then there's the thing that I understand. So let's say I'm figuring out this watch. And how it works. So there's me. There's my intellect. And then there's the watch. In Hebrew, this is, there's the Yodea, that's me. I'm the one who knows. There's the Mada, which is the intellect. And then there's the Yadua. Yadua means the thing that is known. And in the human sphere, all those three, those are three different, those are three distinct entities. Says the Rambam, the Bai Hashem, Hu Hamada, Hu Yadea, Hu Yadua. All one. They're all one. And this is true about Hashem's Seichel and about Hashem's Midas and about Hashem's desire. Everything. It's all one. One and indivisible. Make sense to anyone here? So the Ramam continues and says, And this concept, <laughs> No one can understand this. As it says, You can go and you can try and you can investigate. You'll never figure out the Ebishter. And it says, Our thoughts are not like Hashem's thoughts. Because by us, there's we're made up of many components. But Hashem, even though that Hashem has wisdom, but the wisdom is not separate from Him in any way. Why is this important to understand? Because what are we saying over here? We're saying that Yidin are Chilat Yolkamimau. And then the Alter Rebbe proceeds to say, that where do we come from? Where do Yidin come from? From the Ebersters, Machshav and Hashem's Chachma, from Hashem's wisdom and thought. Are we from Hashem's wisdom and thought? Are we from Hashem? Are, are they two distinct entities? Bring in their Rambam and we say there it's one entity, which means that if we come, if the Neshamis of the Yidin come from Hashem's Machshava, Yisrael over Machshava, if the Yidin, if the Neshama of a Yid comes from Hashem's Machshava, that means we're absolutely one with Hashem Himself. Because in Hashem, you can't make a distinction between him and his intellect, and him and his thoughts. When I think, there's me and my thoughts. And my thought is very close to me. My thought could be, you know, connected to me and a manifestation of me and part of me, but it's not me. By Hashem, it's all one. Is there an idea that we, uh, part of our avoda is to emulate God and try to be, and try to like, even though we're not, we're human, but to acquire this unity, like, you know, in the degree that we can, is there some sort of idea like that? I've not seen anyone who suggests, even though that there is a mitzvah of Allah, but I've never seen anyone suggest that this is something which is uh, in any way feasible or right. So this is what the Rambam says. The Rambam says that Hashem is one 
with his intellect, with his Chachma. Hashem, Hashem and Hashem's Chachma is one. And many Mukubalim had a field day with this. As we know, the Rambam managed to get many Mukubalim upset over the, over the generations. Some of the things that he said. And the Maharal, as well as others, take issue with this Rambam. And they argue that, no, you're getting it all wrong. Hashem isn't one with this Chachma. Hashem is what is known as absolute Pishitus. I want simplicity. Which means Hashem defies any description whatsoever. Not only physical descriptions that they're not the Rambam himself, you know, the Rambam was the was the revolutionary in that area. The Rambam came along and says that Hashem has no physical description, which in his time still that was a controversial statement. Today everyone has accepted that. Come along the Mukabalam and say, not only does Hashem defy any any physical um, description or qualification or classification, but Hashem also is above and beyond any spiritual qualification or description. Hashem is not Chachma. Hashem is not Seichol. Hashem is not Midas. Hashem is not Hashem is not Rachmim. Hashem is not Ratzon. None of these things can describe Hashem. All of these things were created by Hashem. Every single thing that you're saying over here is was created by Hashem, and applying any such label to Hashem is limiting Him. Hashem is above and beyond all of these things. Who said it's even a compliment to Hashem? You know, Hashem was the one who created Chachma. So, this, so to describe Hashem with Chachma is, uh, you know, just to, by, by way of by, by way of example. So let's see if a person who uh, makes a video game, a programmer, and in his game he programs that if a face, that if a, one of those little menchies, okay, if he reaches a certain stage or a certain level of this game, so he gets a certain type of a face, metal or a necklace or something. Now imagine one day these menchies develop some sort of consciousness of their own and they're wondering why the one who created them doesn't have one of these medals. After all, that's the most amazing thing that one can have. <laughs> but because that's because that in their little world, which the programmer programmed, that's what's important. But to the programmer, it's all a game. He could, he could have made that not that's important, but something else is important. They Mr. created the world. Is Chachma something which is important? It's the way Hashem created the world. Hashem created the world that someone who's wise we respect and someone who's stupid we don't respect. Hashem could have made it the exact opposite also. Meaning that intrinsically does Chachma have value to Hashem? <coughs> Hashem comes along with Kabbalah and they say Hashem transcends all of these things. And Hashem is Achtus Hapshuta. It's obviously something we can't relate to and we can't understand. But Hashem is absolute simple Him. And that Him defies any classification and not because we can't understand what he is because our minds are too limited but because essentially Hashem cannot be defined in any way because any definition is a limitation no definitions mean no, means no limitations at the same time they argue Hashem has the power to do anything and to create anything so Hashem created Chachma and Chachma is a tool that Hashem uses so when the Torah says Hashem is a Chacham or a Rachum, it's referring to the way Hashem uses those tools that He created. So this is very different than what the Rambam is saying. The Rambam says again, the Rambam says that Hu that Hashem is absolutely one with His Chachma, which means Hashem is identified with Chachma. The only difference being that by us, we and our intellect are two different entities, and by Hashem, He's one entity. Him and His intellect are one. Something which we can't grasp. But Hashem is identified with intellect. Mukubalam come along and say, no. Hashem is Pashut. In the words of Mukubalam, Hashem is Pashut, Betachlis, Absolutely simple. 
Simple, by the way, is the opposite of complex. What does complex mean? What makes something complex? Many parts. When something has many parts or many aspects, it becomes complex. Simple, so the ultimate simplicity is something which has no component or, or no parts, it's just oneness. Hashem is Pashat. So here we have a classic argument between the Kabbalah and the Chikrim, between the Kabbalists and the philosophers. Yet, and by the way, if we follow the Mukabalam over here, we have a problem. Because here we're saying that we're, oh, you saw all the Makshava that Yidin emanate in Hashem's thought and Hashem's intellect. If we're following the paradigm of the Maharal, so that means that we're not godly. Because Chachma isn't Hashem, Chachma is a tool of Hashem's. So the Rambam works well for us. Isn't this a strange twist? The philosopher works well for us because according to the philosopher, Hashem is one with his Chachma, Hashem is one with his intellect and his wisdom. So if so, if the Yidin, if the Yidin, if the Jewish Neshama derives from Hashem's Neshama, so then that means that by definition that the, 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 the Neshama is godly. But if we follow the opinion of the Mukubalam, such as the Maharal, that says that Hashem is absolutely partial, Hashem is above and beyond all these things, and it's only that he uses Chacham as a tool, then we have a problem over here. Yet, says the Alter Rebbe, if you look in the footnote, it says, the Ramam says, the Alter Rebbe says, no, no, the Mikubalim agree with the Ramam. How was that? What does it mean? That we're going to have to put off till next week. But before we leave, a little part on the Parsha. <clears throat> Related to uh, the general theme of what we're talking about over here. Not so much here today, but the larger theme of uh, the last few weeks. So in the beginning of this week's parsha, we have the story of the birth of Yaakov and Esav. And the Pasuk says, Which means that the boys grew up. So both the Yaakov Shemaini and the Zohar tell us that means that when they grew up, we're not only referring here to physical growth, but spiritual growth also. That both Yaakov and Esau, they grew into spiritually great people. Not surprising. Avram Avinu as their teacher, Yitzchak as their, as their father, and Rivka as their mother. However, says the Medrash, so yeah, yeah, in other words, Esau also grew because the boys both grew up. But then Esau eventually he messed up. He decided to go the wrong direction. But Esau also originally was in the prop, was going in the proper direction. He was growing spiritually by the Sasha. So what's the problem with this? We all know the Medrash. Brought on Rashi and that why was uh, Rivka so uh, so anxious? Because when she went by Yashol, when she was pregnant, so Yaakov would be uh, trying to get out. When she went into uh, by a church, Esau would be trying to come out. She's worried she had a, schiz- a schizophrenic child inside. But what do we see from that Medrash? We see that Esau, he was already no good from the very beginning. Rotten at the core, it would seem. If he was rotten at the core, what does it mean by Yidu on Arim that the boys both grew spiritually and then includes Esau? So everybody talks about this, everybody asks this question. And the Rebbe says, we have to take a step back. We have to ask another question. We know that people are impacted in two ways. There's nature and there's nurture. Nature is what we have genetically, what we get from our parents. And then there's nurture. Nurture is what we do based on our environment, based on our friends, our social uh, circle. And then there's also actually a third thing, this free choice. I can do something which goes against nature and nurture. But it would seem that we should take for granted 
that someone who is a child of Yitzchak and Rivka, maybe nurture could go wrong, but nature? Can you get better genes than that? Can you get better than, than Yitzchak and Rivka? How is it? You want to tell me that Esau was good, that he was wonderful, but that he got mixed, he got, you know, he mixed in with the wrong crowd and he went off. Or he had free choice. He decided to go. I can accept that. But you're telling me that when he was in his mother's womb, he was already trying to go to Avedazara? How does that make sense? How does it make sense that Yitzhak and Rivka, Yitzhak and Rivka, Yitzhak Avinu and Rivka Yemenu, the holiest of the holy, that their child should be so messed up? Okay. You're right, and that is definitely an answer. It's as I state. As I state, it says in the beginning of this week's parsha. It says, "Ve'yitzok ben Arba'im shana bekachtei es rivka bas lavna rami achais bas besuel achais lavna rami." So one of the mefarshim, maybe it's the Rechaim, but I'm not sure. Taki says this first. We know we know that rivka is already the bas lavan and it's. Why are you telling to me again? Because now we're about to say that she had a daughter, that she had a son, uh, Esau. Where did she come from? We have to remind you again where this guy. So that's definitely a valid answer. That's true. On the other hand, we can still come to a conclusion that, are you telling me that, that, that Rivka had a damaged recessive gene? It's hard to say. Hard to say. What? It seems that you saying that Yaakov was already at Sarah Gomer in the womb and Esau and Russia. Well, her, do they already have a hero in the womb? Her, that comes out later. Where, yeah, where does this? Okay. But even if you're saying that it was some sort of subconscious desire, where does it? So again, you want a, you want a tiny recessive gene? It's a, it's a valid answer, but the, another way of looking at it is that the others to say that they had bad genes, it's still a business way. Even if it's a recessive one. Sorry? But you don't know them, it's fine. But in the, in the womb, right. in the womb. Right. So the Rebbe says, Misa, we know that Abam lays down a Yusayid, the Misa of the Simamavana. Which means that the Ovis through their Avaida, they gave us the Koyach to do our Avaida today. Whatever we do today, we got our Koyach from the Ovis. Whatever. So every sort of avoided that there is today, we get it from the others. By them being able to do that avoided, we can do that avoided today also. We know the Rambam talks in his Nakhdamatipirkiyavis, in the Shemayin Prakim. The Rambam talks about two different types of yidin. There's what he's called, he's called, what he calls the Chasid Hamaula. Chasid Hamaula means the elevated, the elevated Chasid, who's someone who wants only the right thing. And his, his, his heart and his mind are all always in the right place. And then there's another type of personality, the Koi Vicious Yitzray. The one who, uh, the one has to overcome his Yitzhar. Now, we know that both avoid us, and I think we know that there are more Koi Vicious Yitzrays than Hasan Amu'ullahs. Both of them have to find expression in the Avis because my Avis Simulabana. Where do we find in the Avis the Koi Vicious Yitzray? And the answer is the Koivishes Yitzray potential was found in Esav. Meaning, when the, the Abishter creates two different people, two different Avedas. Some people, the Avedas to be the Chastam Ula. The other people, the Abishter gives them a very difficult Yitzhahara. Is that bad? Yitzhahara isn't bad. The purpose of the Yitzhahara is to overcome it. That's why the Abishter gave us the Yitzhahara. The Abishter doesn't give us bad things. Esau's Yitzhahara, Esau's desire for Vedasara, what as it was in, in Rivka's womb, it wasn't a bad thing. It was about having the Yitzhahara in order to be able to overcome it. So here we had two paradigms. We had Yaakov and Esau, and one was meant to be the Chasna Mu'ula, and one was meant to be the Kravishes Yitzray. And Vayigluana Arim, under Avram's tutelage, Taka Esau also thrived as a Kravishes Yitzray. Because there was nothing wrong in Rivka's stomach. That's the way it was supposed to be. And then, as the Yaakov Shemini says, Esau decided to go off. But that was after he thrived. There was nothing genetically wrong with him. There's nothing genetically wrong with having Yitzhahara. There's nothing genetically wrong with wanting to go to a church. 
as long as we don't do it. And that's what really what Tanya is all about over here. Yes, we have an Epsilokis, we have an Epsilokis, which means that there are parts of us that are very nasty. And we have desires that, uh, that maybe make uh, you know, going to church look, 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 look good. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's also part of Kedusha. We get that from the Avas also. And we also get the clear from the Avas to be able to defeat those parts of us by having an Avas Hashem and doing the right thing. And we have to always remember that, never to let that part of us get, the, to get discouraged. Koyvish Yitzvah is also a gift from Hashem. And when we do that, we're also purely Kedusha on the level of the Avas. Have a good Shabbos and see you next week.